Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on June the 27th, 2023. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, with a pencil, doing the rewind. Uh, Caffeine Rage. On today's show, we are going to be discussing this month's game club, which is Cassette Beasts. We will be telling you what July's game club is. A Splatoon 3 player took over a Nintendo shareholders meeting over the male customization options. DDoS attack on Blizzard leads to more calls for a Diablo 4 offline mode. Google is reportedly testing a feature to play games on YouTube. And if, uh, let's be honest, I am awake and alive enough to do so, we will have a Steam Discovery queue. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. Hello. Well, I'm caffeinated, so I don't know about you. Right. I've got a little caffeine in me, but I, I got some tea... I oh, I know some... you've been trying. <laughs> I got some tea, I got some Diet Coke, and I have just like a little tiny glass of whiskey. Like, it's not even like, it's like one finger as opposed to two fingers. I don't drink very much anymore, but I had a day. Oh, what a day I had. What a very special day I had. I have <laughs> I have complained to you about it, and then I talked about it in our pre-recording a little bit. So at some point, the the listeners will get it in Franken content mostly was about my car and busyness at work but this is a watermelon flavored whiskey that was Ew. provided to me by a client he made it i'm not sure how good it's going to be but it's going to be boozy and that'll i'll make give me the warm fuzzies for a minute so said i was going to test this live so here we go are are you ready uh, you can't sure. you, you can't see me so Insert uh, and I'm glad. Yeah, insert sound effect here. I guess uh, let's let's not kid ourselves. I'm not going to do that. Oh, oh, I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell I wouldn't like it from uh, the get go. I, I typically don't really care for watermelon stuff. I don't like that not one bit. So you want another drink? It's like, I mean, I poured it. I'm going to drink it. Like, hang on. All right. <clears throat> woo. Mm. No, yeah. no, it's woo. There's too much watermelon and not enough whiskey flavor. I mean, <laughs> it's whiskey. It it burns um like whiskey. I don't know what proof it is. I need to ask him. Uh I'll his next appointment is after my vacation, so it'll be a couple weeks before I can report back. But there's just too much watermelon. I don't I know you don't drink. Um to anyone out there listening who does drink, it it feels like someone took some Jim Bean and one of those watermelon um, water flavor things and just like poured it in there. I don't I don't think that's what he did. He said he said it was watermelon infused whiskey that he made himself. So I really hope that infusion is not I'm going to dump some watermelon flavor in. I don't know. I'm going to ask him. It uh, it is not good, and I don't feel like there's a way to make it better. Cause like, you know, Jack and Coke or you know whiskey. Oh, and much Coke. with the, much like your car, there's always clenching fire. That's true. That's true. But you know, Jack and Coke or or really just you know whiskey and Coke or maybe Scotch and soda. Like, you know, you're you're balancing out 
the whiskey was something else to cut down on that sharpness of the whiskey, give it a little bit of a different flavor profile. But the watermelon does not do that. Yeah, watermelon has the kind sharpness, of a, kind of a sharp uh, flavor. It makes it more sour. And I guess maybe if you like that, but I don't like that. I like things that are that are sweet. Okay, part of me wonders. Okay, I typically whenever I eat watermelon, I put sea salt on it. I wonder if yeah. it, like a salted rim would work with that. Maybe do it kind of margarita style. Yeah. Well, I have homework to experiment for next time. <laughs> because I- I'm just thinking, watermelon for me, it does have a, a, a little bit of a like slightly sour note, but the uh, whenever I add salt to it, it kind of brings out the more like rounded watermelon flavor. Yeah. Which Anita just looks at me. And it's like, what are you doing? Whenever I'm just sitting there, just sprinkling, you know, <laughs> like a nice flaky sea salt over uh, the watermelon or I even know better. People who do or, that though. You're not the only person I've ever heard of doing that. Or even better. A, I, okay. Uh, I have like 10 or 12 different types of salt in the house. So I'll do like uh, Himalayan sea salt, uh, a nice smoky salt. It actually really works well with watermelon. Uh, but yeah, just different types of uh, salt for different occasions, I guess. Yeah, but, yeah. It, it brings it brings up the watermelon flavor and kind of rounds out that sour note that cheap ass watermelon could have. And that might be it. Is that he may have. Ooh, do you think he may have had the rod in there too? I don't know because that could have, uh, that could infuse some notes. I mean, I know pickled uh, watermelon rind is a thing, but right? Yeah, Sarah makes pickled watermelon rind, although it tastes like really crunchy pickles. That's it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It does not retain its sweetness. However, she makes it. I don't know if that's typical. That's the only. Uh, Pickled watermelon round I've ever had is what she mm-hmm. makes, but yeah, that is a good question. Good observation. But yeah, so I did my live on-air testing. I uh, completed my obligation. That's the first non-sort of New Year's or special occasion drink I've had in several years. I, don't, I, just, I just don't really drink anymore. Not after that one time. Whew. Yeah, that that was that was the last time I drank. At least in that way, I would have like a drink for some time after that. But after I got diagnosed as diabetic, I pretty much just stopped drinking altogether. But yeah, yeah that, that one time when I was, re- yeah, there's a shitload of carbs and alcohol because, you know, most of it's made from wheat of some kind or potatoes, mm-hmm. corn, all very high things in carbohydrates. But anyways, yeah, after that one time, that last time where I drunk and was an obnoxious asshole and more so than usual we nearly stopped being friends like between i mean that that was part of it but honestly the biggest part of it was i woke up so hungover in a bathtub of my own vomit <laughs> that's i, I, no- I wasn't go- i wasn't gonna bring up uh, you vomiting in the tub but since, you, since we're here right oh no i'm i am not ashamed or embarrassed. It's like, that's just like, you know what? That happened, and that was too much. I couldn't handle that anymore. I didn't realize you woke up in it. I just remember you uh, uh, coming back saying, I just threw up in the tub. Oh, no, I went back. 
<laughs> I, I went for a round two. Well, at least you didn't drown in it. No. That would have been a hell of a way to go. I guess wake it, I didn't, okay, let me, let me be a little more, a little more specific. Like, I didn't wake up, like, laying in a tub full of my own vomit. I woke up, like, hanging over the side of the tub, having vomited everywhere in it. And it's like, my, my head was hanging over the edge, and it was very gross. It smelled bad, it looked bad. But, like, I'm not, like, inside the tub with the puke. Oh, here, I was uh, picturing you, like, curled up in the tub. Nope. Nope. I've never done that before. I have woken up, like, having, like, thrown up on myself. Um, although, that's been from s- severe illness. Not being hung over. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we're we're probably, like, grossing people out. Yeah, so, uh, uh, there's no good segue, so, uh, Game Club. <laughs> yeah! So Game Club is a specific time where that Rage and I play the same game at the same time and invite you, the audience member, to play along with us, metaphorically. Although there have been times in the past when it's been literal, but usually it's metaphorical. Um, this month's Game Club, we played a game by the name of Cassette Beasts, which we both played through Game Pass, mm-hmm. but it is available on Steam, uh, yeah, Switch. Yeah, it was kind of an indie darling there for a little bit. Yeah. Um, it released... Earlier this year, I, I want to say it was April. I did not do my homework and look that up, but I think it was it was April of this year when it released and got a lot of coverage. Um, and like you said, was was a uh, bit of an indie darling. Uh, late April, uh, and it also came out on Game Pass Day One. So yeah, and, and it's rated uh, a ninety six percent on Steam with uh, an also I should say ninety seven percent on Steam overall. With almost 2,500 reviews. Nice. The easiest way, although it's not entirely accurate, but the easiest way to explain Cassette Beasts is it's a monster capture and battle game akin to Pokemon. I'm going to say, well, uh, I would say more like the bastard child of some of the old school, like Legend of Zelda-esque games. Uh, and Pokemon. Okay, interesting. Um, why some of the old uh, school I, I, Legend I'm of think, Zelda I, games? I, I'm thinking the the older Legend of Zelda games, where they had a little bit of a almost Metroidvania style, uh, a traversal of the Everworld, where you get. Oh, you didn't get that far. I was thinking. Well, okay, so I was uh, yeah, uh, uh, in. Uh, uh, and well, I guess uh, we're already into like a little bit of game mechanics. Uh, if you capture certain monsters or record them, we'll get into the nitty gritty of that later. Uh, you gain additional abilities, which opens up more of the map for you to traverse. Yes, there's a vertical component. I, you know, I always look up reviews and other stuff after I finish playing before we do game club. So I'm aware of the verticality options, or at least mm-hmm. some of them, which when I was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, Oh, I, I wonder if you're talking about the overworld traversal. Yeah. Cause I'm like, how is this like Zelda? But I the overworld traversal uh, and uh, like a little pseudo dungeons on uh, some areas. Yeah. Where it's uh, essentially, uh, it's not full on dungeon crawling, but it's, more of like 
a one room puzzle, almost Breath of the Wild style uh, strands, but yeah. not yeah, you know, not like two hundred of them. Where it's a single room with a primary puzzle that you have to uh, first to uh, fight a boss. But yeah. So I mean, this is definitely going to be a bit more of a mechanics discussion. There is a story. Um, you wake up on an island and you don't. Yeah, know how you Yeah, and you don't know how you got there, and um, or what's going on, and then you get introduced to some of the basics of the game and some some of the pretty early on some cast members, you know, members that some of them are going to going to be in your party and some of them are going to be just recurring. Um, and you get given the basics of the story and there's some, there's definitely something weird going on and I'm curious to know what it is, but I don't think I'm going to finish this game. Not because it's bad, but because like, I'm glad that I, that I wanted to try things that aren't normally in my wheelhouse, but these Pokemon esque, battle games just don't seem to be in my wheelhouse i mean i'm not gonna say no to one like it's not a bad game by any sense uh, or any stretch of the imagination it's i've got a few issues with it but you know it's a solid game there's nothing wrong i'm actually really impressed with this game yeah my issues are minor by the way like i'm not like they're game breaking like they're Mm -hmm. minor issues um but it just this just might not be one of my one of my genres, you know, I just keep Yeah, I mean, it. I've just really enjoyed my time with this. Primarily, whenever I discovered something. So remember how I told you the game kind of dicks you over? Uh, we talked a bit, little bit about this Sunday, but I uh, didn't record because, yeah, uh, date night. Yep. Uh, we talked Sunday how the game uh, uh, sort of dicks you over a little bit with the type chart. And yeah. it doesn't tell you what's going on. There's a type chart in the game. They had it. Okay, so early on in the game, uh, uh, Kaylee, uh, the first partner that you get, and there's like half a dozen different ones with different storylines that you get that you could go through. Uh, Kaylee gives you a a book that I just assumed was, you know, like going back and looking at the tutorials again. Okay, if you open it, the type chart falls all out, and it gives you a key item where you can look up the type chart in game and look at all the interactions, which that's I thought neat. was hilarious. That is, that's really neat. I, that's one of my actual like complaints with how the game presents you information. Mm-hmm. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I don't know if this is the problem with the game or problem with me because of how used to modern game design I've gotten, where that they you know are like, hey. Look over here. Here's this thing. And I don't feel like Cassette Beasts does that very much beyond, like, the basics. And maybe there's yeah. stuff that comes up that I didn't get to. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's a complaint about the game industry and development as a whole or Cassette Beasts specifically. I think it's uh, a bit of the game industry because they do go a bit into the general mechanics, but then kind of lets you toy around with things uh, on your own quite a bit. They leave the battle system pretty open to interpretation and messing around with. And uh, you said you were, what, six hours into the game? So that's, like, right where you start getting enough stuff that uh, you start to uh, really be able to, like, find your own style. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, the battle mechanics. This is uh, the 
uh, Pokemon esque, like, uh, or where they get the biggest inspiration from Pokemon is uh, there's I want to say twelve types. I, I probably could just look it up of uh, different elements and uh, such, and uh, it's rock paper scissors esque. But what they change on this from Pokemon is it's not just like. Okay, well, this type gets bonus damage against this type because reasons. They justify, but they also... It's not just damage bonuses, which really impressed me. So, like, a grass-type attacking a water-type, it doesn't give that much extra damage unless the particular move uh, has a thing where, on type advantage, uh, uh, it's always a crit, which there are some moves that does that. But, uh, like, grass-attacking water... It uh, gives a like a leeching effect, and water attacking grass is the opposite, where the grass uh, gets a heal after the damage uh, is occurred. Which, right? Yeah. Uh, fire attacking poison uh, essentially catches the poison on fire and causes a burn status, uh, no matter what. But poison attacking fire uh, basically like it's like throwing fuel in the flame, and the uh, fire type gets extra AP, uh, which uh, every turn you get two AP up to a maximum of, well, depending on the uh, evolution of your cassette, where uh, some cassettes uh, essentially get remixed, uh, evolve, yeah, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Uh, they, and, uh, and they, they have a power. remastering. Yeah, remastering. Remastered, which I think is cute and is on theme. Yeah, uh, yeah. The game is uh, really does a good job with its theming. Uh, they get remastered and essentially evolve into a new version. And a higher remastered tape uh, has a higher cap of the amount of uh, AP it could uh, hold. So, like the base ones could be, uh, I think it's five or six. Then the, uh, a second remaster is. Or a first remaster, it would be eight, and then the second one, if it has two remasters, uh, would be ten. So it kind of pushes you into uh, using certain ones, which uh, you don't really have to, but uh, it does help. One thing I really like, one thing I really like about this system, and what did like what does make me think like you know I could go back and I could keep going is the way that it does leveling overall. And uh-huh. I know that the modern Pokemon games are better about this, but you level yourself on top of the cassettes leveling. And so they get, you know, they get star ratings as they level up and then you can remaster them and etc. But you have a player level, mm-hmm. which gives you a base power that you can use, or a base power level, rather, that you can use. So you can much more freely mix and match stuff as you go through the game. And Pokemon was always really limiting in that in the beginning, unless you wanted to grind. And like yeah. I said, I know modern Pokemon games do XP sharing and that helps to eliminate some of the grind. But I think that's one of the main reasons I bounce off of these games. Like certainly I will grind and stuff. I'm not going to pretend that I am against or like, you know, unwilling to grind. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes, for some reason, like, I find these monster battle games, like, I just don't want to grind in them. Well, I think, uh, 
the main problem might be so many of the monster battling games are too beholden to the Pokemon formula and they don't want to try to iterate on it. And the fact that Cassette Beast isn't limited to four moves, for example, makes it so that, you know, you could not have to think, okay, well, I have this sticker, which is what they call abilities or moves or whatever, uh, that I could put on the cassette that uh, is uh, useful in some situations, but I don't have enough room because I only have four slots, but that's not the case here. Uh, remastering uh, increases that, and also just player level and uh, beast level. And that's not before you get some rare stickers that uh, will also add slots as well, which makes them even more useful to uh, put on, because they're right. And the stickers can be taken off at will and you don't yeah. lose them. Because yeah. in, in Pokemon, the HMs or TMs, HMs, whatever. Whenever you use them, like they get used up. Uh, it depends on the game, actually. Oh, okay. The more the uh, the more modern games, it's either unlimited or it's very easy to get more. Okay. So, so like in the early games that I'm still playing on, uh, it's like a one-time day- thing. But then you get to like uh, Gen four or five. And it starts to become a reusable thing outside of the HM. And it's the same thing here where uh, you can, uh, essentially it encourages you to t- have a low-level monster in your party at all times to level up. Because as the uh, monsters level up, uh, they uh, start getting more and more stickers as well. And it, it really kind of like scratches that itch of being able to customize. Because uh, if you get lucky on some of the uh, things... Uh, you can make some very powerful combinations, like uh, one of the, uh, the cassette beasts I have. It has custom starter on it, which has like a very high chance to use the next sticker uh, in the order at the beginning of battle for free, which gives it uh, which I have it set up for an AP boost on both uh, on my party, and then it also has a passive that starts off with uh, multi-targeting uh, right at the, be- uh, the get-go. And I didn't get that to, like, 10 hours in. But it made uh, fighting a lot more fun because, you know, it starts getting to the point where uh, you could develop more strategies and more combinations. Yeah. Um, I think my biggest beef with the battling is that uh, there's some arbitrary stuff of what stickers work on certain beasts, and there's no way to know whenever you're buying them. And there's ways to get them in-game that outside of just leveling up. There's like three... Uh, well, there starts off two, and then there's a third vendor that sells different types of stickers. Then there's another uh, uh, pair of vendors that you unlock later on in town uh, that uh, sells different uh, like pa- uh, additional like passives and uh, armors and that sort of thing. Or I should say, I didn't find them till later on. They may have been there from the get-go, and I just missed them. And then you can buy, essentially, packs of uh, stickers from a vending machine with uh, well, what, in the beginning of the game, is a rare currency that, uh, as you start leveling up, becomes more and more common. Um, and there's always at least an uncommon sticker in that, which uh, the difference between uncommon and regular stickers is, like, a... Let's take uh, the the base melee move, for example, Smack. 
it, uh, an uncommon version of that has an additional modifier on it. Sort of like a Diablo uh, style thing going on. Where it might have like plus five damage for every empty slot on that uh, monster. So if you have uh, only a few stickers, uh, that simple attack starts doing a lot of damage. Uh, then you might have another rarity on top of that. So you have uncommon, then you might get a rare, which has a secondary modifier as well, which makes it so that it uh, feels a lot more dynamic uh, and uh, a lot more open to strategy. To be fair, it's also a single-player game. It's not trying to balance around this weird meta game of online uh, play, right? Or uh, monster battling, right? Yeah. It does have local co-op that I have not checked out. Yeah, I think it's literally just uh, taking the second pl- uh, character and be able to move around and uh, fight with them, which would be nice to move them out of the way. It's one of my other minor gripes is sometimes trying to do some of the more platformy-esque moves. I've had uh, my partner get in the way and just stand there. Yeah. I might I might try with my kid in co-op. Because what I would do is I would start a new game and he would be player one and I'd be player two. Uh-huh. That would be a way to get me to play through this whole fucking game. <laughs> for sure, if my kid is into it. Yeah, uh, Monster design, what do you think of them? I love them. I love the entire design and aesthetic and everything about this game. It's very... You've got a good mix of like cyberpunk elements, 80s um, kind of synth, uh, mm-hmm. neon going into them, and then some cassette futurism stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I, which, and I, and I kind of like how they also kind of bring in like alternate uh, realities as well. Yeah. Because, okay. So this world, everybody's getting isekai here. They, nobody knows why, you know, like guy wakes up, he's on the beach. Another guy wakes up, his entire apartment's there. You know, I'd like to be that guy. Uh, well, he's actually one of the playable character or one of the playable uh, sidekicks, and actually, yeah. he's one of the more fun ones. Um, like, but, but like, if I'm gonna be there, I want my whole ass yeah. house to be there. Oh, not if uh, there's no roof and uh, it rained, right? Uh, good point. Good point. Uh, but uh, people are coming in from different realities. Like, he came in from a world where there's no comic books. Instead, everything is like uh, more focused on cartoons and animation. Uh, people are coming in from different uh, uh, time uh, periods as well. Uh, one of the uh, one of the playable sidekicks uh, doesn't understand why everybody's so uh, bemoaning about not having the internet anymore. And Kaylee, uh, who was talking to her, uh, asked, "What year was it when you left?" Nineteen eighty-seven. Why? <laughs> oh, that explains it. <laughs> yep. The internet existed, but it it not. Well, but, but was it? Yeah, nearly. Not how we know of it today. Mm-hmm. Not even close. But I guess you could say the concept of the internet existed today. Mm-hmm. A lot of peer to peer connections back in the eighties. Anyways, yeah. But yeah, I but- love the aesthetic. I love the art style. I like the way the game plays. Um, like the the overworld movement. It all looks and feels nice. Mm-hmm. I like the soundtrack. I will um, say that the the soundtrack does get a little samey after a while because, you know, you, you go to town and it's always that one song. Yeah, you run into that a lot with games, though. Like, 
I can't necessarily it, hold this too much yeah, against well, it. Well, it's a little ironic considering, you know, it's a game about music, right? Yeah. I would say I'm probably about halfway to two-thirds of the way through. Uh, so you have four or five major storylines. Uh, one of them is uh, you join the Rangers, uh, which is like the town uh, bodyguards. And uh, it, it this is your like Pokemon, you know, collect the gym badges uh, quest. But only all the Rangers are like scattered to the four winds and you have to fight all the captains. Yeah. And instead of eight, there's 12 of them. So it's and, the gym leaders and, plus the elite four. Uh, essentially. Uh, did you fight any of them? No, I did not. Oh, the Rangers are what I want gym battles to actually be. All right. Okay. Uh, I did fight so, some air quotes trainers. Um. Well, well, well. Okay. A good example of this is uh, one of the ranger, one of the last rangers I fought, one of the captains I fought, uh, was a meteorologist. All right. Okay. Her big thing was using weather effects to mess with my move order or uh, what I'm able to do. Uh, there was another one that was a survivalist that constantly stacked healing effects on himself. It, it's not... The ranger captains are not beholden to a particular type like in Pokemon. They're uh, beholden around a central tactic, which is what I've wanted Pokemon to do for so long. Oh, that's way better. Maybe the first gym in Pokemon, you know, is, is the one that's focused around a specific type to make sure that the player understands the rock, paper, scissors mechanic. But then after that, yep, yeah. Them yeah, having... I'm... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, after that, them having tactics that they focus around would be so much better because you can ensure the player learns certain tactics that are, that are going to be helpful in the end game or introduce them to sort of like niche strategies that maybe they hadn't considered. Yeah, and another one of the captains... Uh, she, uh, puts a status on herself called, uh, uh, Spectral, which makes her completely immune to damage, but if the timer runs out on that, uh, 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 status, uh, her, uh, cassette beast is defeated, and she has a, uh, a helper that's constantly, uh, ramping up that timer with, uh, their abilities. So the idea there is to kill the helper and then just kind of wait it out, right? Yeah. But there's uh, stuff like that where all the different captains are using different tactics and you have to adapt uh, to them, which I found so much more uh, you know, invigorating than uh, you know, going to, well, uh, it's time to go into the uh, normal type gym. I'll take this one uh, Pokemon that has fighting moves and, uh, you know, clean sweep it right yeah take the electric types to the water gym and yeah yeah who's gonna win a a gym leader that uh has uh, spent their entire life uh training and uh mastering water types or a rat with a taser <laughs> my money's on the rat but even um, then, but even then if you use the type chart in this yeah uh which also uh the some of the justifications for why certain types uh, have uh, uh, interactions, I found uh, hilarious. Like, the glitter type. 
essentially this game's fairy type. It's super effective against itself. There's no gl- uh, glitter poke uh, glitter Pokemon glitter cassette beasts. Instead, there's one glitter move. It glitter gets everywhere. It's it's uh, craft herpes. It does contact damage and turns the other beast into a glitter type, which is, is hilarious. That the move is called craft herpes. Uh, it, no, they uh, they talk about how glitter. It, uh, gets all everywhere, and no matter what, you, you can never get rid of it. Yeah. That's what I call it, is craft herpes. Okay, I didn't know if that was a you thing, or if that's what it said in the game. Uh, no, no, that's a that's a me thing. Sorry. Okay. I mean, it makes sense. Glitter is craft herpes, but... Mm-hmm. You find glitter for days. Mm-hmm. So let me, let me ask you the question. You've said some things okay. that answer kind of some of the specific points that were raised in this mm-hmm. YouTube video I watched, but... It is, you know, inevitable that any game that is in this genre is compared to, you know, the granddaddy of Pokemon. First of a two-part question, part one, how does this, in your opinion, as our resident Pokemon expert, compare Uh, to Pokemon? I would say it's not a good comparison to Pokemon. It's a, the idea is there, but the thing is that it does so much more with the concept of Pokemon that it doesn't real, really feel fair to Pokemon or to Cassette Beasts. Uh, it's like, yeah, the general makeup is there. Yeah, it's a monster-fighting game. But because you have, first of all, at least two on uh, one or two on two battles constantly, but also the idea that you could have... 10 plus moves on high level cassette beasts that you're free to mix and match uh, types. Uh, and if you, oh, and also, they actually do something interesting with the shinies in this game. I didn't ever encountered one, but the bootlegs that you may have seen about uh, in the beast geography, mm-hmm. that's their version of shiny. It's that type of uh, monster only. It's a different type. So you might have the traffic cone things. Uh, it might be a fire type. Which I didn't realize that that's what they were when I was playing. I never encountered but, one. Well, I didn't encounter one either, but like I saw mention of them. And I didn't know that's what they were until afterwards. And then yeah, I had to, that yeah, I was I, watching. Yeah, I looked into it and saw uh, that's what that is. I never encountered one. Or at least as far as I know, I never encountered one. But the fact that they actually took the concept of shiny Pokemon and actually have a gameplay aspect to it. Feels like it's not fair to compare the two, you know? Which leads to part two of this question, which is the in the video I was watching where this guy was talking about this, he he was saying that it compared generally more favorably than Pokemon because it took a lot of issues that Pokemon has had for years that they haven't done anything with and moved the dial forward. Do you agree with that? I, mean, I I've heard you say some things. Okay. It yeah. has it has its own issues, sure. Particularly a very slow start. Uh and because of how you get the stickers, you can be unlucky and not get yeah, ones that make the gameplay more fun. But at the same time, like I said, the Rangers uh or the Ranger Captains uh the same concept as gym leaders, 
but far more interesting. And the, also the uh, the uh, their tactics tie into their personalities as well, which makes sense. Uh, the it has more of a coherent story because let's be honest, uh, Pokemon has never really gotten on a violent story, and a game that says more often than not, don't think about how this works, has a more coherent story than, well, we're going to run out of energy in a few thousand years, so let me call it the apocalypse now, right? Yeah. I mean, damn, the, the original Pokemon story of, I'm a kid who's going on this adventure to be the very best, might be the peak of Pokemon storytelling, honestly. Uh, I would say kind of, uh, well, you didn't finish the story, but uh, Sun and Moon had a decent story about you know kind of fitting in in community. Yeah, I mean, I'm being I'm being obtuse here. Like, I'm being deliberately a little mm-hmm. uh, obtuse with that statement. Like, I know that Pokemon has evolved and has tried to do different things and different themes with their stories, and even the original. And I see Pokemon, what you did with there. Yeah, even the original Pokemon though had some stuff in there about environmentalism and, um, you know, protecting what we have and and sort of cherishing these creatures and it parallels to modern, the modern day animal rights and environmental movement, which is so interesting because like PETA is like Pokemon is the worst. And I don't think Pokemon is doing like, mm-hmm. you know, they're not an animal rights. Yeah. yeah it's not a Michael Vick simulator. Right. But you know, there's that theming and messaging was in the original Pokemon. It was a little clumsy, I think, but I mean, it was the nineties, like video games, they told stories, they had important meanings, but they were finding their footing in that aspect. But yeah, Pokemon stories uh, have gotten pretty asinine over the years. I mean, Scarlet and Violet, uh, uh, the latest of the Pokemans, uh, has a somewhat coherent story. But the thing is that it's broken up into like four mini stories. Uh, and the way that you interact with them, it's like, Okay, you're reading chapter one of story A. Now time for chapter one of story B. Now time for chapter one of story C. And you don't get story D till you know, way later. And if you're not really committed to the game and, you know, you put it down and come back later, you might not remember what the fuck is going on. Because that's just how they're handling the story in this one. Cassette Beast, it, it's kind of the same issue, but it's also more condensed where... Yeah, cassette beast doesn't overstay its welcome. It's uh, the how long to be? What what did we say? It was fifteen, sixteen hours. That feels yeah. a little fast to me. I, or I might be a more of a completionist route because I've done some of the side stuff with the different relationships, which that's also another thing. And we never really even got into fusion, uh, which we'll uh, touch on real briefly. Essentially. Uh, there's a meter that, as you battle together with your partner, after you you know, formed a bit of a bond, which for anyone but the starting uh, uh, partner, you have to essentially do their side quest, or at least uh, version one of their side quest. Or, uh, there might be more later on, I don't know, uh, to be able to unlock Fusion, which uh, combines your two cassette pieces to do. One amalgamation, which has some very interesting results. Yeah, I looked up, or no, I didn't look up, but in one of the things I was reading said that there were, I believe it was 14,000 
something po- different possible combinations that you could have based yeah. on what cassette yeah, you there, are. Yeah, there's a hundred and twenty different uh cassette beasts, so but so I, I, I just double check how long to be seventeen hours main story, twenty three main plus extra, completionist forty nine hours. Yeah, which I could definitely see completionist, especially uh if you decide to essentially complete the Pokedex for lack of a better term. Uh if every different one has a uh uh, combination, it's 14,280. Yeah. Which I... I can remember the exact number, but it was 14,000-something is what they had said in the review. And also the fact that uh, every type also changes the color of the uh, cassette beast, right? Yeah. Which I found to be impressive. I did, too. Uh, but uh, basically, it's... Uh, you only get one move uh, per turn, but the thing is that you get the AP from both the characters, so you can use stronger moves more often. And depending on the uh, relationship you have with your partner, you get essentially a, a stat bonus as well. So, yeah, it makes up for it. It also makes it so that you can tank harder hits uh, easier. Because if there's, you know, uh, it's you take less damage from uh, getting hit once instead of having both your cassette beast hit twice, right? Yeah. And the thing is that also, you only have so many healing items, which is one thing that I'm not sure how I feel about. Uh, there's a way to increase it, uh, but it's kind of tedious. It's like the most tedious grinding thing in the game. Where every time you defeat a captain, you get a, a material that you could use, but also one of you just uh, kill a rug fusion, which is like, the fusion's gone wrong. Uh, you get uh, a uh, material that you can trade in for different, essentially, portions of your backpack to be expanded upon, or different things to be sold in town. Uh, but it's very costly, and it's like my one negative mark on it is that uh, that feels too grindy to me. Outside of that, uh, yeah, this has been a very solid game to play. One thing I want to point out, both of us did play on Game Pass, but it has mm-hmm. been pretty widely reported that on Switch, um, Cassette Beast has had a number of performance issues, and patches have worked to help, but at time of recording, it looks like that they still are having some pretty pretty significant issues with uh, frame rate hitching um, and stutter. Um, sort of slowness in like menus and things at times. Yeah, I did notice a little bit of stutter on my game, uh, especially whenever it's like loading world chunks. Yeah, did uh, you have there, this installed on your SSD? Uh, on an SSD? I don't think I did actually. I did not have that issue, and I had it installed on an SSD. I didn't have any performance issues at all. Um, uh, it it was just like at the very beginning, whenever uh, I had started playing. Uh, it'd be like a couple hitches here and there, and that then it would uh, like it loaded enough into RAM. Uh, let me see. Uh, yeah, it's uh, installed on my physical drive, so that may be it, or my or my uh, platter drive. Your hard disk, as opposed to your. Mm-hmm. Well, don't you wish it was hard? Hey. But um, yeah. So if if you are wanting to play this, and you have it on Switch, and you want to play it on Switch. I mean, by the time you listen, by the time you get it, things might have changed. But at mm-hmm. time of recording, 
They had fixed most of the major problems, but it still had significant um, stuttering, hitching, um, kind of freezing up moments. Um, so don't know what that is. Like this, I don't know if it's an optimization issue. I don't know if this game actually is a lot more power hungry than it looks like it should be. Well, there, the there's, it has a lot of uh, like background physics stuff because I. Have you noticed like barrels moving around properly and that sort of thing? Yeah, it's it's doing some sort of uh, proper physics modeling for characters moving around, and that might be just it right there, or at least for the Switch, because the Switch is not exactly the most powerful machines, and they have a, a little bit of a leak in the physics going on, right? Yeah, yeah, the Switch wasn't the most powerful when it released in. What was it? 2017, 2018, mm-hmm. whenever. Like the Switch was already uh, behind the power curve, so to speak. So, but yeah. Anything else you want to add? Uh, not really. I mean, uh, this is not one that I'm planning to uninstall until you know, beat it, which yeah. I plan on going back and playing more of. Uh, it doesn't have the problem that I had with Persona where. It feels like, oh boy, uh, am I going to be able to actually get any progress done? Because there's always something to do. Uh, the rumor system does feel a little haphazard. Uh, or did you get that far? Um, I didn't feel like it was haphazard. Uh, or I should say, uh, I'm not sure if it's random what you get or not, but... Oh, okay. Uh, I where, also am not sure. Uh, and... Uh, the game will occasionally have a rumor pop up into town uh, that kind of steers you towards different uh, quest objectives. Uh, but the thing is that I'm not sure if it's random or not what you get, because uh, if you're looking for captains, they are in some very weird spots. And the only way that you may find some of them is just you know, getting a rumor that will point you in the general area, because there's, like, one in, like, the extreme corner, uh, and all the extreme corners in the maps, and then they're hidden throughout the rest of the map. And the rumors feel like it's kind of a, a, a like, a Band-Aid on... We, we hid things a little too well. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my assumption, and I could be wrong, this is just an assumption, but my assumption is that it was functioning more or less the same as it does in, you know, most other types of RPGs. Like, when you hit certain progress milestones, then the uh, townsfolk will bring up rumors that lead you to well, the thing appropriate-leveled content. I don't think it's uh, any type of uh, thing uh, that triggers it, but like, uh, you know, at milestone, because I would go out and just... Uh, in the early game, I was actually focusing on getting as many beasts as I could. <laughs> Uh, especially once I discovered, oh, I need to get certain beasts for to unlock abilities. So, yo, ooh, new beast, uh, time to record it, which I, I do kind of like the recording once I got the hang of it. Uh, that's something that we actually didn't touch on either, is that, so you're not actually capturing the beast, you're making essentially an imprint of it onto, uh, you know, don't think about it too much cassette tape, right? Yeah. Your, your magic... Spectral cassette tape. And there's different uh, cassette tapes that 
have like better recording rates or different uh, types of uh, type advantages. And uh, the recording system, it's uh, a character starts recording and there's a base recording rate, like let's say uh, 25% uh, at full health. The more damaged the uh, monster is, the easier it is to get a recording of it. But also, if you take damage, you like drop out of your cassette beast form and you're in your base form. And if you take damage, uh, it damages the amount of uh, recording percentage that uh, the percentage that you're uh, able to get a successful recording in. But then you can put like put up walls, and it's kind of nuanced uh, on just you know uh, focusing around okay. I'm going to build this uh, particular beast to be able to put up a wall very quickly to protect uh, the uh, the human to be able to record. And then there's also the fact, which I absolutely love, is if you're actively recording something, that beast cannot be knocked out. So you can just wail away on it and knock down that health to you know, zero. And the beast will not get uh, knocked out unless you get accessory recording on it. Yeah. Oh, and it doesn't like yeah you know, make it immortal or anything. It's uh, if you choose to after that turn not to record, you know it. Uh, you can knock it out. But while you're actively trying to capture something, you're not going to ab- accidentally knock it out, which is nice. It's a nice quality of life thing going on. The best way I can think to describe this, which might sound weird, is that it's a full mechanic. As opposed to being like a gimmick or a mini game, or uh, it's a like, full it's a full mechanic instead of like a behind the scenes dice roll. Yeah, and and it has more player input on what you're doing. Like, sure, you could use a better cassette or a type cassette to get a higher base percentage, but you have more control over how much influence you have on that percentage than Pokemon does, where, uh, okay, time to start chucking Ultra Balls at at, uh, this thing until it gets captured, right? Yep. Or, oh no, I'm uh, trying to capture something that's, yeah, 20 levels below me, right? Yeah, but the only way to successfully capture something, like, guaranteed in Pokemon, other than the Master Ball, is to put it to sleep, right? Uh, uh, status effects do help, but it's not, yeah, a guaranteed. Believe me, I've, uh, Failed plenty of uh, times whenever there's uh, been a, sta- uh, you know, a sleep effect on it because, right? Gotcha. I thought that was guaranteed. My no. mistake. No, but the thing is that with cassette beasts, you're, it's very easy to get, you know, eighty plus with the right cassette and knock down health hard enough. And also status effects, like b- getting a burn damage. Also, that take a burn damage increases the uh, percentage a bit. So, all right. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're not playing on Switch, it's, uh, uh, to me, it was a fun time. Overall, I mean, I think it's a good game, and I did not have a bad time. I just, I think I just bounce off of this type of game, which is so interesting to me, because Mm -hmm. I do really enjoy JRPGs. I do really enjoy, you know, I've gotten to where I really enjoy sort of this, the the isometric top-down style of gameplay. But Mm -hmm. something about this, and I don't know what it is. I just kind of bounce off of them. But mm. I mean, I, I recognize it's a good game. And, uh, you know, I <laughs> I would definitely enjoy playing with my kid. 
Um, or if it had an online co-op, I would enjoy playing with you, mm-hmm. you know, but that's, that's a me thing. Like I can recognize that whatever it is that's going on in my brain in particular, that makes me just be like, nah, you know, that that's a me thing. The game is good. Like a very solid, like a minus, I think maybe even in like a, just a straight a. I would say it's a solid a, it does have some pacing issues. It has a little bit of a direction issue where there, it feels like there's at times a little too many uh, quests at once for the size of the world. And uh, which it feels weird saying there's too much stuff to do. I'm talking about how like the game's trying to pull you in like five or six different directions. It's an overset saturation. Mm-hmm. It feels a little bit. It's the Ubisoft issue where, yeah, the, yeah, you look at your quests. It's like, Okay, this one wants me to go here. This one wants me to go here. This one wants me to go here. And then you get to the side quests of, oh, uh, right? Yeah. Uh, it also has a little bit of an issue of, unless, once again, it's just, you know, I didn't talk to the right NPC. Uh, so the, essentially the game's version of HMs, once you collect a particular monster, it unlocks that ability, yeah. The first one you get is the the ability to glide. Uh, but beyond that, you're not really told of what to expect. Yeah, what where to go. So it's like capture everything that you see, right? And yeah. I hope it gives you yeah, an ability. <laughs> and I did encounter an NPC later on that told me about an ability I got like five hours beforehand, just by yeah, I stumbled upon the uh, right monster. Did Which, you know that you can press left shift to run? <laughs> hang, hang on there, buddy. You're in the wrong spot in the game. I figured that out hours ago. <laughs> right. And uh, that's like my... That, those like couple of minor gripes, along with a bit of a slow start to get going, especially it, since it seems to expect you to capture a lot of monsters, especially to build up that... Uh, amount of uh, stickers, moves, whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, knocks it out of A plus into a solid A. Which I did grind a little bit to be able to get enough uh, 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 plastic to be able to buy cassettes, to be able to record stuff. And also, I may have have traffic, uh, uh, the traffic crabs, which is the crab with the traffic cone for a shell, (laughs) which is uh, actually quite adorable. I have I have a set of them I call shame cones, and whatever I and whatever I uh, put somebody in the gramophone bar to uh, to wait for me to come back to get them, they get a shame cone with no moves on it, so I can have their uh, their kick ass monster. Nice, the cone of shame. Uh, cone of shame was too long. That's why it's shame cone. Gotcha. I, I tried cone of shame, and it's like cone of sham. Which, not wrong, but yeah, I want your uh, Bob Ross looking mushroom guy. Uh, but yeah, I'm working on this other quest, so here, have a crab. Dude, I love crabs. Well, there's a shampoo for that. <laughs> yeah, alrighty. Well, um, our next Game Club game for the month of July, if I go back to the list. Uh, going in a, if, a different direction. We're going towards uh, some handheld stuff. Uh, oh, in theory. Well, in theory, yeah. 
Um, it's Professor Layton and the Curious Village. I have never played a Professor Layton game before, even though I've wanted to many times. I'm going to be running this on an emulator, but of course, if you have a Game Boy Advance or one of the uh, DSs it, that will play them. It's a DS game. It's not oh, a it's a game DS? Boy. I thought it was Game Boy Advance. Okay, oh. my mistake. Uh, uh, believe me, if you try to play it on a Game Boy Advance, you're going to have a bad time. You're going to see a pr- you're going to see maybe a pretty cutscene, and uh, then it'll be like, "Well, how do I play the game?" <laughs> yeah, I will. Uh, I will be playing this via an emulator, probably. Actually, I mean, I have a D. Well, my kid has a DS that I gave to him, but I could use it. I could buy a copy. How much did they cost on eBay? Let me set down my paintbrush. Uh, I think I got my copy for like fifteen bucks. But yeah, uh, Professor Layton and the Curious Village uh, with case, uh, fifteen bucks, ten bucks uh, used, uh, just the loose cartridge. Professor Layton is one of those games that uh, sold a ton back in the day. And this is the first game of the original trilogy. Then there's like a prequel trilogy going on, and yeah, that's about fifteen bucks with shipping. Uh-oh. <laughs> I might buy it. There's there's a good chance. There's a, there's a chance I might buy it. I also might not. It might just emulate it. We'll see. I mean, you better make up your mind because, you know, which, you know, uh, yeah, getting there, right? Yeah. I was, I was intending on playing a bunch of it during my vacation next week, so I better order it tonight if I want to have a chance of getting to do that, but mm-hmm. we'll see. I'm I'm probably gonna stick to emulation if I'm honest. Like, yeah, which I actually actually have a cart a, a copy of the cartridge. So uh, it's and uh, the one cartridge that's uh, in the cartridge slot of my totally not hacked at all uh, 3ds. Yep, totally not. Yeah, ignore the piracy stickers on it. 100% stock. Nothing to see here. So. And don't forget, we also have Death Stranding coming up in two months. We do have Death Stranding coming up in two months, and that is a massive game. Which I have not started. Neither have I. But if you want to play Death Stranding with us, or participate in the show to talk about it, you you might want to get started now unless you've played it before. Mm -hmm. Um, It's going to be a long-ass game. I'm looking forward to it, though. I hope I'm not awfully disappointed. I don't expect it to be perfect. It's not like I'm like, oh my god, this is definitely going to be a masterpiece. Oh, you're but not looking at Dick? No, I'm not. But I am looking forward to it. I love Norman Reedus. I like Kojima. I heard, you know, there were mixed things about the game when it came out, but overall, like, I like the vibe of it. So, we will see. Alright, so. well, I'm going to step away before we hit the news topics because I need to stretch. Okay. So elevator time. Ding. Painting battle next tonight, dear listeners. Doing like a uh, mint green as a base coat. At this rate, I'm probably only going to get the base coats done. And then we're going to do white accents. We're going to do a golden cockpit uh, sheen. And then I'll come back and paint over the weapons. I tend to just do black weapons. That's easier. I like doing this. Um, and I do like to get the details well enough. But these models are very tiny in the grand scheme of things that I have painted. And I don't 
I honestly don't care enough to go in there and individually brush every single missile tube. So they tend to get just a solid color uh, uh, over the top of them. Black or perhaps red or yellow, depending on the weapon. But yeah. And then the bases have to be painted. I do them a separate color than the mech so that it stands out a little better. Usually a dark color because I get paint shit all over them. These brushes, they're getting worn out. The ends are super frayed. I'm not doing any detail work, so that doesn't matter too much, but... Alright, with Rage back from his break, with a snack, we will move on to our first news topic of the night. A Splatoon 3 player took over a Nintendo shareholders meeting over the mail customization options. Yeah, so this one has kind of gotten around uh, the Splatoon community. I'm still playing my Silly Squid game. And this popped up on with several YouTubers talking about it. And essentially, okay, so Nintendo had their big shareholders meeting in this past week. Their year uh, annual uh, shareholders meeting, I should say. And this is uh, Nintendo of Japan, not Nintendo of America, which is essentially two different companies, the way they handle it. Yeah. And during this, one of the uh, people basically started on a rant about male customization in Splatoon 3. Particularly hairstyles on the Inklings. And how it's just not as nicely animated. And it's just went on and on and on about how Nintendo doesn't care, care about male Inklings. How uh, female Inklings get so much better. Uh, better customization options and privilege and to the point that the president of Nintendo uh, uh, well first of all tried to you know cut him off and he got talked over which you know really makes your point come across right yeah and basically cut him from the call from the sounds of it at least with uh thank you for uh, your uh, feedback and then moved on to the next topic but what's really interesting about this is just how deranged the person seems. They have a, a serious case of bitch me crazy going on about them. They went seriously into debt with this. In order to get into the shareholders meeting, they had to buy $3,500 worth of Nintendo stock. And they did this by basically racking up their credit card, buying Switch OLEDs, and then selling them at a loss on whatever uh, uh, you know, site that they uh, were using. Yeah, probably like Yahoo Oxford or something, which is actually really big in Japan. Uh, to get Interesting the liquid, country, Japan. Yeah, to get, the, uh, to get the liquid capital because you can't... Okay, on most reputable uh, financing firms, you cannot buy uh, shares with a credit card. They just won't allow it. And I'm not sure if there's a law against it in Japan outright, because there are, uh, to us, some interesting laws, like uh, cell phones have to have a shutter sound in Japan. Full stop. There's no way to uh, mute it. Because just, you know, culture, right? Yeah. And and creepers in Japan. But... I was going to say, wasn't there, like, an issue with creepers in Japan, yep. like, taking secret upscot- yep. upskirt photos? Uh-huh. So... This guy went seriously into debt, and for all the issues that Splatoon has, 
he latched on to like the most mundane I, I should say mundane minuscule detail. Okay. So Splatoon has outside of the queerest community possibly in uh, uh, gaming uh, the most gender neutral characters short of like among us right yeah the difference between first of all the two races is not very apparent outside of just you know, minor details and whenever they go into their secondary forms uh, but the difference between male and female which they don't even list it on the character screen, okay? It's like one version of Inkling, the other version of Inkling. And they do not mark which is which. The main difference between them is eyebrow thickness. They don't even change body shape, you know? Yeah. Truly so, an- uh, androgynous. Yeah. And a good portion, if not all, of uh, the customization and clothing is gender neutral. You don't have... Uh, yeah, like, this is the female shirt, this is the male shirt. Like, a, a fair number of games out there. Instead, it's just, here, uh, this is uh, this shirt, this is this shirt. There are maybe some that are more feminine than others, but it doesn't lock you out. On top of that, he's focused on male hair, for whatever reason. When a good portion of the hats in the game, or head headgear, I should say, because, you know, it's not just hats. Actually, it covers up, if not completely, obfuscates your hair. So, right? Yeah. I mean, he took, I have to say, and I, I said this before we were recording, or maybe it was in Franken. Um, this is odd. I'm not going to pretend it isn't odd, but there's nothing in here about the guy making death threats or other things like that. Like, it no, seems he just like went he on had, a rant. He just went on a rant. He had a grievance and he ranted about it to the people who were making the game and then he i mean you know he left they they forced him out of the call but i mean you know he left and there has been much worse toxic behavior in the gaming industry from both fans and developers like it's it's strange i don't understand but he could have been so much worse and this is true and, you know, credit where credit's due on that. Also, how many times have you wanted to go yell at the developers for something <laughs> that, you know, they did that, you know, maybe no one else cares about, but you care about it, goddammit. Yeah, I just, I found it weird just how laser-focused he was on this one small issue. I think that's what the big hang-up for me is, that, you know, not going into map design, not going into the connectivity of Nintendo's network... It's just all hair. Right? Yeah. My first thought, and this is probably my clinical bias showing, is that this person is um, gender nonconforming, which is a much bigger issue in Japanese culture for men, especially. And so my first thought is like, well, maybe he's really upset because he can't express his gender identity in the way that he wants to through his favorite video game. I don't know, though. That's wild speculation. That is not anywhere in either of these articles. That's just mm-hmm. me being like, with just like a tiny amount of Japanese cultural information <laughs> to, you know, just enough to be really dangerous and speculate wildly. Mm-hmm. So please take that with a massive dump truck of salt. 
but it's interesting to think about. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. Here's the actual tweet uh, as translated by Google that he tweeted out saying at the Nintendo shareholders meeting, I complained about the current cold treatment of Splatoon boys, commanders, high color, uh, city emotes, etc. Um, halfway through, I was told there are many other people who want to ask. So the second half took a lot longer than planned. My man's to tell them. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, just it's, looking at his Twitter feed, it, it it doesn't seem like gender is a thing. It just sounds like, or I should say, his gender identity. It's more the fact that uh, he's not happy that. Uh, his choice of uh, Splatoon character has uh, the has a certain emote or something. Gotcha. Well, I find that less defensible. <laughs> I mean, still, he could have done worse. He could have made yeah. death threats, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but I find that a little less defensible. Although there is a lot of Splatoon art on his Twitter feed. And surprisingly, no Rule 34. Well, you are a squid kid as opposed to a squid adult, so... I'm I'm glad that there's no rule 34 on his uh on his Twitter feed. But yeah, this is just an interesting odd thing. I don't know what else to say. Odd. I guess we'll uh, keep it. Although I, whenever uh Foam Stars was teased, uh the community kind of uh, got together and said, "Oh look, it's Splatoon for straight people." <laughs> so that's why it's like, yo, know, this just feels uh, especially odd, considering the community and how they build characters, and the fact that he went into yeah, uh, five hundred uh, twenty uh, yen worth of five hundred twelve thousand worth of yen of debt, right? Yeah. What does that translate to? About five thousand U.S. dollars. Uh, three thousand five hundred seventy dollars. Okay, can't. I can't imagine going four grand into debt for something like that. Uh, I can't imagine going under four grand in uh, debt for any game, let alone Splatoon, right? Yeah. And Naruto sounds like he's just a casual, uh, casual player. And he's not like one of the pro players as well, because Splatoon is an absolutely massive game in Japan. It is nestled right between... Uh, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet and uh, Pokemon Legend Arceus were the top sellers of last year. Oh, God. I'm now thinking about this guy more like a Star Wars fanboy. Uh-oh. <laughs> and that changes the way, because it's like, you see shit like this, especially in Star Wars all the time. I mean, it happens in a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, fan communities. But it's like people getting into massive fights over a hairstyle or a saber color or like, I mean, he's, you know, it doesn't sound like he's getting into a fight with people, but like, this is giving me more of that kind of vibe now. Like he would be one of those guys. And uh, uh, just to give you an idea, at least according to this uh, article or this uh, chart, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet combined is uh, for 2022 in Japan only. 4.34 million sold. Splatoon 3, 3.69. Pokemon uh, Alleged Arceus, uh, 2.31. Then you drop down to less than a million for Kirby and the Forgotten Land. I should give you an idea just how fucking big Splatoon is over there. Yeah. 
I mean, they only had three games that topped a million, let alone two million. Good for Splatoon to go. The little game that came out of nowhere a few years ago mm-hmm. and became a gi- a juggernaut. Good for you guys. I'm just looking at the top-selling games list now. The fact that Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is still in the top ten, right? Yeah. Japanese gaming culture is interesting. Like, mm-hmm. not just from, like, a, they do weird stuff, but it's just interesting to see what they play, like, what they really play, and how it doesn't fully compute with my American gaming culture brain. Like, not that they play bad games, but it's it's just like, oh, I wouldn't think about playing Mario Kart like that. I wouldn't think about playing... Well, you this know. also has the lifetime sales, uh, this list. Mario Kart has just over 5 million sales in Japan. Uh, lifetime, with 742,000 last year. Um, uh, Splatoon 2 is actually on the list. Well, Splatoon 3 has almost outsold Splatoon 2 in a year. 4.1 million uh, for Splatoon 2, with 134,760 sold last year. Mind you, Splatoon 3 released, what was it, September? So, alright. Yeah, let's see, five. So the Japanese population is 125 million, so 5 million people is 5, 3, 3-4% three of the population, mm-hmm. kind of napkin math. That's wild that, you know, 4% of the population has, or has purchased Mario Kart. Mind you, some of these sales might be double-dipping or uh, be exports, but I'm just kind of browsing through the list. Um, Hell, uh, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet outsold uh, lifetime sales of Sword and Shield in in less than a year. Once again, limited to Japan. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this was more just a kind of a, you know, silly topic to talk about because it, it, it just... It seemed like the more layers that I've heard people talk about it on, the sillier it got. But, yo, know, there was no, you know, like, death at the end of it. Yeah. Which was nice. Well, I don't remember reading about death in this article, but let's go talk about something where people got a lot more mad. Uh, <laughs> DDoS attack on Blizzard leads to more calls for a Diablo 4 offline mode. So Diablo 4, one of its many problems... Is that is it it in this era is an always online game. So if their services go down, you can't play the game that you paid for. Isn't that just lovely? Don't you just mm-hmm. love that? Beautiful. Amazing. Massive satire. Sarcasm. Well, I'm just imagining the day that they shut it down because right? Yeah. Because Blizzard definitely doesn't have a history of uh, you know, closing games and forcing the population to move to a, a newer, shittier version, right? No, they've never done that. They're always, you know, on uh, on Overwatch for things like that. <laughs> oh, oh, boo! Yeah, that's a bit of a bit of a stretch to force that uh, that in there, but you know, I'm good at that. Wink. Anyways, so yes, um, I forget what the first D in DDoS is. It's a distributed. Distributed denial of service. That's what DDoS stands for. Basically, you uh, fill up someone's incoming, you know, server requests so mm-hmm. that other people can't connect. Yeah, the idea is basically uh, think of like calling a, lo- uh, a person on the phone uh, to uh, your internet connection to the server. Now, imagine 
they're constantly getting bombarded with like telemarketers that, and you aren't just able to connect to them because uh, no matter how many times they try to uh, hang up the phone to get the call, uh, oh, uh, I want to talk to you about your car's extended warranty. Have you heard your Netflix account has been shut down? Uh, yeah, just uh, more and more and more uh, bullshit. And a DDoS attack is shockingly easy to put together if you get on the darker websites out there. Because there's just zombie botnets out there that people that don't even know that they're part of will send out pings and pings and pings to a server. And whoever's controlling it just... Right? Yeah. And DDoS attacks are ultra-low skill in terms of, like, hacking. I mean, if you don't know anything about computers or how to do it, like, you know, it would be difficult for you. But this is just a brute force method. There's no finesse to this. It's just mass wave attacks. It's, you know, it's fucking Zerg Rush of your of your server or website. And that's assuming, of course, the person even owns the computer. It's not, you know, they release some sort of virus or bought some sort of code. Yeah, uh, and released it out there, and you know, Grandma opened up an attachment and didn't do anything. Uh, at least uh, uh, her side, it's like, eh, well, that's weird. But any, anyway, time uh, time to go uh, uh, yell at the kids. In recent uh, history, though, all of those have been Bitcoin miners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know what I mean. It, uh, alongside the Bitcoin miner, it's sitting there uh, waiting for the command to start pinging Blizzard, right? Yeah, or whatever, you know. Uh, target uh, the uh, person that set out the uh, Bitcoin miner pinging tool uh, is paid to uh, send it on because that's what a lot of these are these days. It's just you know, people that's built these bot armies. Yeah. And it takes so little resources that if you don't catch it in a virus scan, uh, you'll never know it's there. Which is a little scary, huh? Yeah. So, on the one hand, I feel a little bad for the players who want to play their game. Like, there's a lot of normal people who don't think about or don't care. They're just, like, going to work, and they come home, and they want to play their video game. Like, I understand. So, I don't, like, wish ill will upon people who are just trying to live their lives and mm-hmm. play video games for enjoyment. Uh, maybe maybe get their KFC bird or uh, chicken sandwich so they get their in-game loot. But on the other hand, it's fucking hilarious that it's happening to Blizzard. On the other hand, it's fucking hilarious that it's happened to Blizzard. And like I, you know, I hate that these people might be frustrated and not get to play their game for a while. But like this is this is good. This is good. Keep up the attack. Like for like this always online bullshit for games that don't need it is fucking awful. I hate it. That's one of the reasons that's like that's another reason why I don't engage in so many modern AAA games cuz I just don't want to have to deal with that. I like to be able to play my game whenever I want, however I want. Like for my vacation, you know, that I've mentioned a couple times. Like I bought Pillars of Eternity, which is a game that released I think in 2015. It's the same developers who made Tyranny. Mm-hmm. Um and like that's my vacation is to play through that game and it's single player offline i can mod it if i want to and do whatever i want to with it and i'm going to have a great time or i'm not and i'll play something else but you know i would 
I don't want to have to connect. Like, I'm never going to play with people or do online things in Diablo 4 if I got it and played it. I'm not interested. And so I don't want my lack of interest in multiplayer to make it to where I can't play my single-player game. So good. Keep and, the servers down forever. Until and the they... problem is also, you know, you're not going to get a bonding community because it's you know, an online game. That too. That's one of the things that has made Diablo 1 and 2 last for so long. Active support by uh, an interested modding community. I mean, that's the story. Tale as old as time with so many PC games that have dedicated long-term fans, um, players, you know, followers who I'm would have a, con- a carryover or conversion rate to supporting other projects that your studio does because they interacted with your previous game that had a fan base that developed mods and stuff for it. Yeah, I mean, let's just put it this way. I go Diablo 3, there's like one skin replacer and some uh, uh, remapping of controls. Go to the Diablo 2 on bot, on uh, Nexus mods. 16 pages <laughs> yeah. of uh, mods. Uh, but then again, Diablo 3 also had the real money auction house, which is... That's its own level of bullshit. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, Blizzard I mean, can suck my dick. That's all there is to it. Fuck Blizzard. I'm so tired of their shit. Mm-hmm. They, they're, like, up there with EA whenever I see... They're up there with EA and Ubisoft and where Bethesda is, like, almost at. Where I see any of their new stuff and I'm just like, I don't, I don't care. I don't want to deal with this. This is... Even if I might enjoy it, the hassle to get to the enjoyment... Is too great. Mm-hmm. Or even if you do enjoy it, you know, there's going to be a caveat, right? Yeah. I like, like with Fallout 4 and Skyrim, you know, for Bethesda, I enjoy those games, but, you know, I have to either be in the right mood or I have to go through and get the right mod set. And while Oblivion can be frustrating without some mods or Morrowind, you know, I will, mm-hmm. I could play those games happily for hours, just bone stock. Yeah, but Skyrim, oh. And then with Blizzard, like Warcraft, Warcraft 3, since they remastered this and fucked it up. <laughs> loved the old one. New one can suck a dick. New one uh, never actually got finished. Did it not? It, uh, it, it, it never got all the promised features that they said that they were going to do for the uh, remaster. Or reforged, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It was basically a very lazy remaster instead of the, like, redoing all the uh, cut scenes and some uh, quality of life stuff. It was basically a way for them to invalidate a bunch of old mods. Yeah. And then they also pulled any way to get the original version of Warcraft 3, so you're stuck on the new one. Unless you just pirate it. Which, you know, just pirate it. You don't need my permission, but you have it. Deal. Stealing my name. Stealing James Stephanie Sterling's name. They're the ones who originally uh, <laughs> said that to steal in their name. So steal in their name. You can also steal in mine if you want. But stupid multi-billion dollar idiotic world destroying companies. Fuckers. No, no, uh, really. Tell me how you feel. I saw in the news that there was a billionaire who died in a car crash today and I just laughed. That's where I am on the whole situation. That's how I really Damn. feel. Uh, so you got real strong for you on that uh, submarine thing. If it wasn't for that one, there was a, I believe he was 19 years old. Mm-hmm. And the story, the article that I read 
said that it or reported that his dad made him go on the sub. If it wasn't for that kid, I would have just pointed and laughed at all of the rich people who let their money, their financial hubris, like make them think that they were invincible and could nothing would happen to them. But because of that one kid, I feel bad about it. I feel bad for him, but also you know, look at the CEO and see how he talked about, you know, well, uh, the safety reg- regulations are uh, way too stringent, and uh, there's uh, no undersea disasters because of equipment failure. Gee, I wonder right. why, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or probably my favorite one is the carbon fiber that he built the sub out of. He got it on discount from Boeing because it was on the shelf too long. And yep. carbon fiber, at least according to this article, has a shelf life until... Uh, uh, before it's actually used of about a year. And if it sits around too long, it starts to break down before it gets essentially polymerized uh, in the uh, lamination process. Yep. So, yeah, it's like, oh. (laughs) And for certain applications, that doesn't matter as much. Mm -hmm. But anything that requires, like, carbon fiber is insanely strong. Like, it's a very, you know, it's... uh, I guess you could say it's strength to weight or power to weight ratio. Like however you want to look, however they measure that is very high. Um, so it's a very strong, very light material. And for certain applications, it doesn't matter as much, you know, depends on whether it's more aesthetic or more structural. Yeah. But, but the thing is that when carbon fiber fails, it shatters. Yeah. And it, it fails hard. And the thing also is that, uh, for how they were building the sub, uh, there's no way that you could actually have a verified guarantee that there's no imperfections in that process. Mm-hmm. On top of yo not doing it in like a clean environment, <laughs> because they were doing it out in the middle of a warehouse. Because of course, right? Yeah. So his hubris was uh, delicious. Uh, the Schrodinger uh, there was good enough for me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, all right. And also, um, fuck Blizzard. Fuck Blizzard. So, our final news topic of the night: Google speaking reportedly, of, huh? I, I was going to say, speaking of uh, multi-billion uh, companies, right? Oh yeah, Google reportedly testing a feature to play games on YouTube. <sighs> I don't. Uh, I don't know. Uh, there, there's no real meat to what's going on. Uh, there's just like a a, uh, a screenshot that this that the Wall Street Journal saw talking about show, playing Stack Bounce, a brick building arcade game. Yeah, uh, but the thing is that who is going to trust Google at this point with the very public failure of Stadia? Lots of people. Oh, like sure. I'm with you, but lots of people. Lots of people are going to say, ah, Stadia, it was a misstep. It was teething troubles. Let's, they'll, they'll mm-hmm. do better next time. And, you know, maybe they will, but I don't have any faith in that. I was, I was talking to a client today, and then uh, there's this, this concept in therapy called catastrophizing, which is where that, you know, you, uh, any situation that you go into, you automatically assume the worst thing is going to happen. It happens with anxiety disorders. And, um, you know, we were talking through like the likelihood of certain scenarios happening. And one of the things that she was worried about is that this bridge that she has to drive over on a regular basis is going to fall down. And so, you know, we go through and we do some math and 
you know, she thinks she's gone across the bridge like 10,000 times in her lifetime and it's never fallen down. And so, you know, I'm like, well, what's the likelihood of this bridge falling down the next time you go across, you know, based on the math of the situation? And I think that that bridge has a much higher chance of falling down than Google does of getting their next gaming service right. <laughs> right. Yep. Uh, that, that's, I mean, YouTube of all places. Okay, for, for first of all, the game that they showed, or the Wall Street Journal saw, was a mobile-focused game, so or a, a Google uh, a Google game, so yeah, Google Play. So, are are they going to focus on mobile gaming? Because oh, that, that that's like a double whammy here if they tie mobile gaming into it. Because okay, there are good mobile games out there, but it's like a sea of utter shit. It's 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 going through the sewer trying to find a gemstone, right? They're down there. There's people that's flushed, uh, yeah, rings. There's uh, gems in the st- sewer, but there's a lot more turds. Yeah, yeah. So there's it's one of those things that, like, on its face, you know, if you're sitting around and you're like spitballing and you're like. You know, it kind of meant, you know, like, it'd be, you know, if the YouTube app had games in it, that, that'd be cool, right? And everybody goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then as soon as you start talking about it, you realize how dumb that is. Because it's like, you know, people are in the YouTube app. Like, YouTube is synonymous with watching video content. And if it's mobile-focused games, then you're stealing away from the Google Play Store. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's not mobile focused games you're stealing away from the purpose of youtube itself which is watching content and there is some engagement there but not the video gaming like at best i could see there being a link in the youtube app or like a you know like a basically an ad that most people i think would ignore but you know it's like hey want to check out some games check out the new youtube gaming service and it's like a spin-off well we have a good analog for this. Netflix. Yep. Netflix gaming. How many yeah. people actually use that? Uh, seven. So for those who don't know, there's actually games in the Netflix app that it ties to the Google Play Store. But it is uh, down there at the bottom. You get games and set it has uh, games that you could download full versions of. And first of all, boy, is it uh, packed with a lot of shit. I'm looking at it right now. There's some good ones. There, uh, but it's also, uh, well, let's see. Mobile games. Too hot to handle. Love is. And it uh, trails off. Oh, boy. All right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, SpongeBob uh, Get Cooking. Transformers uh, Forge to Flight. Uh, World of Goo Remastered. That, that game's like 15 years old, right? Yeah, World of Goo was... Wait, was that the real-time strategy game? No, that was the building game where you had... Uh, uh, where you were building, essentially, towers. And, and you know, you moved the goo around and it would uh, form links. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. And also the goo would, uh, you know, climb up on the tower, and uh, if you didn't build the tower very well, it'd, like... Uh, calls the tower for whatever the level's objective was to shift because 
uh, the goo had weight on it. But then you have like TMNT at Shredder's Revenge, which is actually good, but I'm not sure how good the mobile version is. It's There's actually a lot of games on the mobile app now. I actually hadn't realized there were so many, but that's kind of the point is that I don't see a lot of people talking about the Netflix uh, gaming uh, uh, offerings. And this is, yeah, right there on the app. Uh, if YouTube does kind of the same thing, how many people are going to pay attention to it? And like I mentioned before, us more geeky people are not going to touch this with a 10-foot pole, especially uh, after the failing of Stadia. Uh, the very quick failing of Stadia. Because, yeah. damn, damn, I remember. them. Uh, it was E3? That uh, they took out like all the ads on Twitch, so I saw uh, them talking about Stadia over and over and over again, pro- uh, going into features that uh, they were promising that never actually made it, like their save states, uh, ch- essentially challenge modes where you could take the save state of the- your game and send it to another person. It's like here, try this, right? Yeah. As far as I know, they never uh, got that to actually work. I don't know. I never paid attention to it after the E3 demonstration. Well, well I never even uh, saw many features pop up in the news about it, which is a... Right. Yeah. Oh, Stadia. Yeah. On the long list of whipping boys. <laughs> yeah, right next to Evolve. Yep. So, uh, we've we've run out of steam on this one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's is... more of a point and laugh topic, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. So, we have made it to the end of the topics list, and mm-hmm. it is almost midnight, and I am almost a pumpkin. So, let's uh, let's not do a discovery queue this week. Okay. Fewer, and fewer discovery queues will make it easier to sort through at the end of the year. True. That's, that's a positive spin I'm putting on. The fact that I'm just a sad sack of meat and bones and, and can't make it as late as I used to. Oh, that's intriguing. I, I had I started my discovery queue and I was a couple in, so I'm rotating through it. Yeah. A tactics, uh, a, a squad tactics game based in the Aliens universe. Intriguing. Interesting. That's actually being positively reviewed. Like XCOM meets uh, uh, Aliens. What's it called? Aliens what? Uh, aliens, what? aliens Dark Descent. They released uh, a couple weeks ago. Or, sorry, last week. Aliens Dark Descent. Oh, I think I saw this and honestly just kind of skipped over it because every game except for Alien Isolation that's been released in the last, I don't know, 10, 12 years has been awful. So I just kind of skipped over it. Well, I just saw it was positively reviewed, so... Yeah, might have to check that out. Although not right now. I have Pillars <laughs> of Eternity. Got to focus on that and Professor Layton for the next few weeks. Oh, me, it's uh, Death Stranding. Yep. As we just sit here in silence. <laughs> well, I'm I'm looking at Alien, Dark Descent, some more. You're welcome. All right. Um. So yeah. Uh. Hey, Rage. How can people get in touch with us and do all the things? Well, if you want to get in touch with Jared, uh. Do not encourage him. That's a bad touch. 
He's gentle, but it's bad touch. Very gentle. Uh, just, uh, yeah, don't, don't get him drunk. <laughs> uh, you can uh, contact us. Uh, get, email us, uh, vgopodcast at gmail.com. You tweet us, vgopodcast. Or you drop by the Discord, which a link to that is over at vgopodcast.podbean.com. Indeed. And hey, Rage, why don't you uh, hit him with your socials? Well, I've been Caffeine Rage. I don't really do social media that much anymore, but you can talk to, contact me over at Gaming CR on Twitter. I still you know, keep tabs on it. Right. Or you could uh, contact me on Steam. My uh, username is Caffeine Rage over there. And you've been? I have been me, Jared. You can follow me on Twitter at JMA4707. Uh, recently, I've been tweeting about some art stuff that I've found people, or that I've, you know, that I've seen people doing. And uh, Chuck Tingle, my favorite author who writes books uh, aptly titled, such as uh, uh, Doing It in the Butt with My Own Butt and... I had sex with a Velociraptor. You can too. And PokeButt Go. <laughs> um, he has been posting some stuff for Pride Month. And uh, I've been sharing it with folks who I think would like his content. So there's been quite a bit of that on my Twitter recently. Um, also, you can find me over at twitch.tv slash runic arts. Uh, about every other week is what we average. Um, there's a tabletop RPG that I'm running uh, that we play, and he streams it over there. So if you're really interested in that, you can go find it. And then, of course, you can be my friend on Steam or chat with me in our Discord group. JR34707 for both. Well, once again, you can contact us podcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, gaming-related topics. You can tweet us podcast on the Twitter until yeah, that burns down to the ground. Or you could drop by the Discord, which you can find a link to that. Once again, at the top, vglpodcast.podbean.com, which we're also on your podcatcher of choice if you wish to spread the love. Our lovely, lovely patrons have made this madness possible. You can find out more about that over at patreon.com slash vglpodcast. Our intro and outro music is on the ground Matt Kim McLeod. You can find his work over at incompetech.com. And as always, as this lovely music starts to roll across my voice, bye-bye now. See ya. Bye-bye.